Gospel of Luke chapter 14 this morning, Luke 14. Uh, we are we are going through the parables, and this morning we have tales of three feasts that we're going to look at. The, one of them is a real feast happening in real life. The other two are in story form, but they all teach us something uh, that that I think is speaks speaks to me at least, definitely, and hopefully will speak to you as well. Luke chapter 14, stand with me as we read from verses 1 through 14. This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Pray with me. Father, you have spoken through your word. Apply that word to our hearts, to our speech, to our lives. May you speak just as loudly in the way that we live as you did in the way that your son lived and as you have through your scriptures. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In our passage this morning, we find three feasts. The first is in a parable. It's, it's real life happening in front of them, but it's the inspiration of the other two. Chapter 14, verse 1, look with me. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Jesus journeyed across the countryside, and as he's going from town to town, village to village, he is often the guest in the home of others. It was proper protocol in that day that when there is a traveler, especially a traveling uh, teacher, a traveling rabbi, a traveling minister, someone who is doing God's work but isn't just stationed in one place but is traveling around. It is customary in that day to open up your home, to share of the bounty of your table, to share the accommodations that you have, to provide a guest room for them to lay their head. That was basic hospitality. And so anytime Jesus would come into a city, he probably would have gotten tens, maybe in some places even a hundred invitations to come dine with them in their home, to come sleep and rest in their guest room. 
This wasn't anything abnormal, but it was especially expected of more important people of the town. And so it often happens that as Jesus is going in and he's teaching and he's, and he's doing ministry, that one of the local leaders would say, hey, come, come stay with me. And this is where Jesus finds himself. Jesus is dining at the house of a ruler and the eyes are on him because, well, they're always on Jesus. It's kind of hard not to notice. Unless you're marrying Joseph and you lose the kid when he's 13, it's kind of hard not to notice when Jesus is or isn't around. I can't really say anything. I've, I've about left a kid sometimes. So sometimes, the, never mind, I won't get into that. The fact is, though, that as Jesus is traveling, he is often invited into homes, and he's invited into a home of a ruler of the Pharisees. This is not just your average, ordinary Pharisee. This was someone who was well-respected in his community. And so, invites him into his house. It's the Sabbath. But uh, we don't just know that Jesus is a guest. It's not just one guest. It oftentimes is many guests. Sorry about that. And uh, in this case, we have another guest. Look in verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now, I anybody know what dropsy is? I didn't. I had to look this up. Do I? Yeah, yeah. Dropsy is when someone leaves pencils and pens on the pulpit and I start throwing them around. That's dropsy. No. Dropsy, it, it, you might know it by a different medical name, edema. Y'all ever heard of that? Okay, so what basically happens sometimes is water accumulates in the body. Um, tissues will, uh, for lack of a better term, leak fluid. And it builds up and it doesn't, your body can't get rid of it. It just keeps storing it. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, sometimes uh, uh, we get a little bit bigger, but it's not from excess fluid. It's from excess food. But, you know, that's that's a whole different issue. This, though, is often in the hands or in the feet. If you've ever seen a pregnant woman close to giving birth, her feet will oftentimes be swollen. That, that's, that's a temporary edema. That's, that's what that is. In this guy's case, he wasn't pregnant, obviously. And he wasn't, um, sometimes medicines can do this as well. It wasn't caused by medicines. What it was probably caused by was disease. Most likely cardiovascular disease or cirrhosis of the liver can cause it. Maybe he was having kidney problems. But there's some underlying condition, some dangerous condition, that is causing this guy's arms, hands, and feet and legs maybe to swell. And if you can't, if you can't move your joints, it's really hard to work, especially in a society where most of the work is agricultural. It's really hard to harvest when you can't really grasp and hold things. So this guy's in trouble. He needs help. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus sees this. And he says, I got to do something about this. Verse three, Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees. It's interesting. The wording is responded as though, as though they're already talking about this guy. Like there already is conversation going on. Maybe everybody knew this guy. Maybe, maybe he had wandered into the house. And you know, if you're a good host in that day, you don't just chase people out that you don't want. You kind of have to put up with them, but you can make them feel uninvited and you can kind of, kind of do the underhanded ways of saying, we really don't want you here. Oh yeah, sure. Come on in. I think there's a seat like three rooms down or something. Here, just sit on the floor. That'll be fine. 
there's something going on already with this guy and conversation about it. And Jesus just, well, maybe he's listening. Maybe he's waiting to hear. What, what are these men of the law going to do? Well, it becomes obvious, nothing. Nothing worthwhile, at least. So he takes up the mantle. Verse 3, Jesus responded to the lawyers. These are these would have been experts in the Mosaic law, not necessarily people arbiting cases in court but people who were experts in the law. Oftentimes, they would handwrite the law. They would often be a scribe and a lawyer. But lawyers and Pharisees, people who knew the law like the back of their hand, and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, is the Sabbath really the issue? may have been for them, but it wasn't for Christ. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, if you want to talk about a loaded question, that is a loaded question. Let's go through the possible answers. Yes, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. So you can work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't supposed to be for work. The Sabbath is supposed to be for rest, for worship, right? But not for work. No, you can't heal on the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. It's not this guy's life more important than a day of the week. See, they're in what we call a catch-22. So what do they do? That's what they do. Nothing. They don't say anything. They don't respond. They're probably looking down. When's that food going to be ready? They know they're caught. Now, here's ideally what happens. When God points out sin in your life, ideally you say, you're right, Lord. That's a sin in my life. I confess it to you. Lord, help me get rid of it. Help me deal with it. Help me live better. That's the ideal. Not what they do. They just sit there quiet, don't say anything. He's got us, but we don't want to admit it. They remain silent, verse 4. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. See, these, these leaders are more interested in a day than in a person. That almost sounds familiar. Someone who's more interested in some idea more than they are actually people. Like someone that says, I care about people, but doesn't really care about people. Just just cares about people as long as they can use them for their own ends. Does that sound familiar? I'm getting a vision of a, of a capital city in my mind. I, I, I can't avoid it. You see, the fact of the matter is, it is all too common for people to say things. Oh, well, this matters to me. And then show you by their actions that it really doesn't. It's all too common for people to say, I care more about this particular thing than I really care about other people, but I'm going to use other people as a means of getting this particular thing. I, 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 maybe you've heard the joke or, or the, the stereotype of the Hollywood actor that's accepting their reward, and they say, I like to thank all the little people I stepped on to get this award. But that's exactly what we do, isn't it? We are achieving we're, we're looking to achieve something. We're looking to climb the corporate ladder. We're looking to better ourselves and, and make ourselves more prestigious. We're looking to give ourselves a name. Isn't that the problem with the Tower of Babel? They were looking to build for themselves a name? Doesn't the scripture say that this group of people, instead of following the words of God and being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it, instead all congregated together and said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build ourselves a tower that's going to reach up to heaven. That'll show God. That's exactly what the problem is. And we have been building Babels ever since. We've been building our towers to ourselves 
ever since. You know, sometimes we get this all wrong because we think we have to put ourselves higher. We have to make ourselves greater, more prestigious, more honored. I have to demand respect. I have to make myself into something great. Now, there's an there's a aspect of that that's good because the idea of improving yourself, of finding your faults and working on them to get better, of making yourself more godly day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, that's not a bad instinct. The bad instinct comes when we take what should be for the glory of God and we turn it into the glory of ourselves. When we say, I am the end to my means. I'm the one that matters. And we may not say that out loud because, boy, that just sounds really terrible, doesn't it? I'm the humblest guy I know. Nobody's going to say that. At least, well, I used to think that. I think I've told you all this. I was interviewing someone one time. I was an assistant manager with with the drugstore, and uh, there was someone that came in for an interview, and one of the questions we asked, it was me and the store manager, and the store manager asked, so what would you say is your greatest weakness? And this person, no lie, said, you know, I really don't think I have one. Guess who we didn't hire? Now, it would have been fine if she had said something, and she had said, you know, to be honest with you, sometimes I think more highly of myself than I should. Boy, we could have hired her then, but we're definitely not going to hire someone that's delusional because you have to be delusional to think there's nothing wrong with you. In fact, let me, let me give you a couple of tips. If you are always suffering because someone else is the problem, it's probably not always someone else. You're probably missing some of your problem. Amen? See, that's what we're like, though. We want to blame someone else. We want to put it on someone else. We want to say it's that party's fault or it's that person's fault or it's that boss's fault or it's that other person's fault. It doesn't matter. It's someone else. It's not me. It's my husband's fault or it's my wife's fault or it's my kid's fault or it's my parents' fault. Nobody wants to say it's my fault. And you know why? Because that means that means we have to admit something really hard that we're wrong. You see, one thing that's showing up in this feast, in this Pharisee's house, is that our tendency is to want to glorify ourselves. And that becomes the impetus for the two parables Jesus tells. By the way, Jesus challenges them on this and says, you don't even believe the Sabbath is important. If if you have a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, you're just going to leave them there until the next day? No, you'd immediately pull them out. It wouldn't matter that it's the Sabbath. Someone's in danger. Not even someone. Even if it's an animal, it's in danger. And you'd get it out. They couldn't answer it. That short-sighted view. We've already talked about how man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And how Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we've already talked about the importance of that day falling under some other things that are greater priority. The priority of life supersedes the priority of a day on a calendar. The priority of someone's suffering and pain and anguish being relieved is much greater than the secondary nature that this day 
we shouldn't be working. What better way, what better way to celebrate a Sabbath day of rest than giving someone rest from their suffering? That's a, that's a good way to spend the Sabbath. That's an honorable way to God to spend the Sabbath. But we've already talked about that a lot. So, so what I really want to focus on this morning is this idea that, that we put ourselves a lot higher than we ought to be. And Jesus, while he's at this feast, he observes something that's right in front of him and it becomes the source of his teaching. And, and we see that in verse 7. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So he's sitting there and people are rushing in to sit in the best place. And maybe there's an argument among themselves. Oh, well, I'm certainly more honored than you. You need to get up. That's my seat. You're in my seat. I, I, I had to tell Savannah yesterday, that's my seat. Get up. That's my seat. Because that's where I was going to sit. And that, that, that's my seat. And I don't know why she's sitting in my seat, but she ain't going to sit in my seat or I'm going to sit on her. That's not really. I mean, come on, y'all. I'd sit on the order too, though. Um, we get in this motion of thinking, I deserve it. It's mine. And Jesus, Jesus wants to challenge that. Because the kingdom ethic is something a little bit different from that's mine, I deserve it, give it to me. Watch the kingdom ethic at work. When you are invited, verse 8, by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Don't sit down in a place of honor. Why not? Well, one thing you got to understand is when you're invited to a wedding feast, there are honored guests and then there are not honored guests. So, wedding. When Carrie and I walked the aisle and we got married, we had some guests that were very important. In fact, they were so important that they walked out with, well, not with me because I, I was, I was kind of standing up there while everybody else was walking, thinking, well, come on, hurry up, let's get, let's get to the bride, come on. Their brides grew, brides, uh, I don't know, bridesmaids, groomsmen. I can't talk this morning. I'm sorry. But they're up there. The minister's standing up there with me and all these, all these guys and ladies are coming down. They sit, they sit the grandmothers and the mother and the father of the bride is coming down with her. But my father is sitting by my mom and, um, all that kind of stuff goes on, right? There are honored guests. There are people that are more important, and so they get their own place to sit. They sit on the front, or they stand on the stage. They have their own place just for them because of the honor that is being given to them in taking part of this event. But then there's other people. There's people that didn't even get invited that came. I mean, seriously, we had a bunch of friends show up that we didn't invite because, well, we thought we wouldn't have enough room if everybody came. And of course, Half, most folks didn't come, so we had tons of room. But they just showed up. None of them sat in the front row. None of them had an assigned seat. We didn't even know they were coming. They all, in fact, sat at the back. See, there are honored guests, and then there are guests that aren't as honored. When you go to a wedding feast, you don't sit on the front row. When you, when you go to someone's wedding, you don't sit on the front row. When you walk into the reception afterwards... You don't sit at the table with all of the great decorations in the front of the room, right? Because that's not your place. You sit around the edges. You sit at one of the other tables. You sit somewhere else. You, you, you find another spot, right? These folks are trying to sit at the honored spot. They're trying to sit in the place of distinction. Jesus says, don't do that. 
sit in the lowest place. The reason is because, well, sometimes we need to we need to think of ourselves a little bit less big. We need to deflate our heads a little bit. But let's see if we can put it. When I was in high school or middle school, rather, I, I was faced with an exciting possibility. My beloved Pittsburgh Steelers were going to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Thirty, and I was excited because the Steelers were four and zero in Super Bowls. They had already beaten the Cowboys twice. These guys still coming back for more, but but we've shown them before. We'll show them again, right? We've got that Blitzburg defense. We are all that in a bag of chips. And I was not afraid to tell everybody I knew about it. Because everybody else, for some reason, liked the Cowboys. I still can't figure that out. Bunch of clowns over there. I still, I don't understand what the big appeal was for Dallas. I just don't. I'm sorry. If you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, I, I, I'll, I'll say some Hail Marys for you or something. I don't know. But I, I don't, I didn't get it. All I knew was that Pittsburgh was going to win. There was no question about it. And that was that. And I wasn't afraid to tell anybody and everybody and tell them loud and tell them a lot. And then that night, I want you to know, that night I cried myself to sleep. I didn't, I didn't cry myself to sleep because of the loss. That, that wasn't even the bad part. It was knowing what I was going to face at school the next day. That's what made me cry. Apparently, I had gotten a supersized humble pie because I really, really, really deserved it. You see, sometimes we build ourselves up to be so much better than what we are, and we deserve to get flattened. I needed that humble pie, and boy, did I get it. I was trying to sit in the place of honor, and then the host comes and says, give your seat to this person. And boy, did I feel shame of moving to a lower place. Jesus says, instead, go sit in the low place. That way, your host will come and he'll tell you, move up higher. And then you'll be honored. You see, when we take a position of humility instead of a position of exaltation, when we decide to humble ourselves instead of exalting ourselves, that's when we have room to be exalted. Because that's when we're in a position spiritually, morally, mentally, emotionally that we can be exalted and it won't make our heads super big. You see, when we think too highly of ourselves, we need to get deflated down. We need to be put lower so that we will learn the lessons, so that we can handle the exaltation, so we can handle the things that God actually wants to do with us. That's why you cannot come to the cross with your arms up high saying, look how great I am. I'm so glad to be here. You have to come groveling on your knees saying before God, I'm a red sinner. I don't deserve this. And the whole point of that is because God can't do anything with you until you're humble. He can't do anything. Don't go sit in the favorable place. Instead, take the low place. Now, I don't want to pretend to you that if you humble yourself, God will make you great. That's not what this is saying. But it always happens. It always happens that the person who humbles himself is exalted. In fact, that sounds like that sounds like something that Jesus might have said. Maybe in Luke 14, 11, where he said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
And he who humbles himself will be exalted? Yeah. The whole point of this is that if you humble yourself, you free yourself to be exalted. Now, that's not the point. The point is not to be exalted. The point is to honor God. Period. Don't let, don't hear me say that if you will just humble yourself today, that God will lift you up. Don't hear me say that. That's not the point. The point is to exalt him, to magnify him, to glorify him, not to glorify us. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's why God has to teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves, Because he knows that if he doesn't teach us that, we never will. We'll only love ourselves. We've all had times where we've had our share of humble pie. And if you haven't, don't worry. I'm sure your pie is on the rack cooling right now as we speak. So here's the challenge. Am I going to take the place of honor? Or am I going to take the place of humility? Will I allow myself to be the center of attention? Will I make myself the object of others' jealousy? Will I not? Will I think of myself too highly? Will I allow my ego to grow two sizes bigger than my hat? Or will I humble myself? All of us want a pat on the back and an attaboy, especially men. Amen? We want respect. We want to be honored. Maybe, maybe instead of seeking after respect and honor, maybe we just need to humble ourselves. Instead of begging for the respect of our wives and our children and our peers, maybe, maybe we ought to just get on our knees and bring ourselves low and put ourselves in a position to be used by God as his servant. Christ challenges the guests of the feast. Then he turns to the host of the feast. Verse 12, he also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. He's saying, look, when you have a feast, don't just invite the good guests. Don't just invite the friends and the family. Don't just invite the rich folks or the highfalutin or the people who are important. Now, why would we do that? Why would we do that? Once again, the same issue is going on. I want to be number one. So I'm going to have the biggest and the best guests. I'm going to have the most important people so that I can be recognized. This may come as a surprise to you, but it is just as sinful to try to exalt yourself through your association with other people as it is to try to exalt yourself through your own efforts. In other words, to buddy-buddy up next to someone who's successful to make yourself look better is just as bad as trying to promote your own actions to make yourself look better. In both cases, you're only seeking your honor, your glory, your fame, your notoriety, your prestige. And God says, don't do that. Instead, instead, verse 13, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That means you got to get your hands dirty. Poor, crippled, lame, blind, those typically aren't the cleanest folks. They don't smell the best. They don't look the best. They certainly don't bring honor by their presence. Jesus said, invite them because they can't repay you. It's not just this for that. It's not just a, a situation of, well, you do something good for me. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's here, let me serve you. Because when we do that, we are showing love to people that God loves. And we're doing so not seeking our own glory, but seeking his. 
That puts us in a perfect position to be exalted. Again, not the point, but it is a consequence. Just like doing bad things have bad consequences, doing good things have good consequences, and doing things like serving those who cannot repay you for the glory of God, that has good consequences. It's amazing. The more we try to lift up God, the more that we try to serve others in recognition of who he is and what he's done, the higher we find we can lift God up. And then we suddenly notice that when we look down, he is in the process of lifting us up as we are in the process of lifting him up. It's not so that I will be great, so that he will be known as great. He already is great. I just want to help other people know that. And in the process, I become greater myself. Because it's as we're giving to God what is rightfully his, as we're serving him, as as we're honoring him, that's when we put ourselves in the position for him to honor us. James put it this way, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's because you can be exalted, because you'll handle it right. Often the rich person is not the person who inherits money. It's the person who earns it. There are a few rich people that inherited But most rich folks earn it. They work hard. That's spiritually what James is saying is spiritually the same equivalent. When we put the effort into humbling ourselves, and boy, is it an effort, we reap the rewards of God exalting us. Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low. Oh, you you just, pride goes before a fall, right? And the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Boy, did I learn that from Super Bowl 30. But he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. One, another proverb that I read said, I'm trying to remember how it says it, don't seek to bring yourself before the king. Basically it said, your talent, your skill, will bring you for you. Do what you do well, but humble yourself. You know, this idea of exalting us reminds me It reminds me of Jesus not exalting himself. In Philippians, Paul tells the Philippian church to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, though he is by his very nature and essence God himself, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He didn't didn't look at being God as though it's something just to hang on to and say, hey, look at me, I'm God. Instead, verse 7 of Philippians 2 says, he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. And being in human form, he humbled himself. He became obedient, even to the point of dying on a cross, the most shameful death that you could have possibly had in that day was death on a cross. The law even cursed men who were hung on a tree. Christ is God. You don't get any more exalted than that. Yet he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient even to death. And he did that so that if you will humble yourself and confess your sins before God, he will exalt you. He will cleanse you of your sin. He will make you right with him. No matter what the situation or our role in it, we must seek to humble ourselves, just like Christ did. Are you willing to humble yourself this morning? Are you willing to confess your sin and admit that you're not worthy 
of the honor that you've been seeking? Will you quit exalting yourself and trust Jesus? While we sing this song in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come. I'd love to help you know how to humble yourself and accept his son. Father, I pray that we would not make ourselves greater than who we are, greater than who we should be. I pray that our focus would not be on exalting ourselves. Our focus would not be on on making ourselves look better, richer, not stroking our egos and coddling our pride. Pray, God, help us. Help us be humble. Help us bring ourselves low. Help us sit in the dishonorable place whether we need to confess sin to you and ask you to forgive us and and to make us right with you if we've never trusted in Christ or whether whether we just need to come to you again and say, God, I, I'm messing it up. I'm, I'm seeking my own honor. I'm seeking my own glory. God, forgive me. Lord, you do what you need to do. You convict us. Help us humble ourselves so that you, above all, can be glorified. Lord, in this invitation time, you do your work, and we'll do ours. We'll follow you. You just lead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.